Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there. All in off the shelf world, Blog Talk Radio, Rainbow Soul, iTunes, the many different ways that people listen to Google Play to um, off the shelf. So I want to welcome you here this Saturday morning. You guys, this is the last Saturday in March. We, you know, March 21st was our kick off for spring and now we're going to really start to feel spring coming into full gear as we head into April next week. So happy last Saturday in March 2019 to you. And you know as I start each show, the last couple of shows, um, probably over the last couple of months, we have started with a quote that we just wanted to drop into your thoughts, something that you can take with you throughout the day if you choose to. And that's all today is I will persist until I succeed. I will persist until I succeed. I don't have an author to attribute it to because I'm not sure who came up with that saying, but I will persist until I succeed. And again, we want to welcome you to Off the Shelf, and you are listening to the winning book radio show off the shelf on this March 30th, 2019. And we have a wonderful author and leader on deck for you this morning. So excited to introduce you to her. But before we do, and I ask you guys this every week, and one of my books is really, really, two of them are really uh, selling very well. And one of them is love pour over me now every book isn't for everybody so i always ask people do you value mystery there is a murder mystery tucked into the story there's also the mystery of what's going to happen with raymond and his father they have a complicated relationship and as complicated as we all are his father has untreated alcoholism but before you judge him he loves his son he stayed and raised him by himself after the mother went off, but what impact would that have on Raymond to be raised by a parent who has untreated alcoholism? And he's growing up in West Dayton, and I grew up in West Dayton, Ohio, so that's a rough area to grow up in. Not as rough as some parts of Chicago or other cities that I've been to, but it's not an easy breezy come up. And he meets a woman when he goes to college, Raymond. Raymond is a track, he's a track star. He is up there. He's a middle distance runner, so he's not like a Usain Bolt competitor, but he's he's on that level of an athlete as a middle distance runner, but he's also very bright academically. So he gets a split scholarship, academics and sports. And he goes to school in Pennsylvania. That's where he meets his soulmate, his true soulmate, Brenda, but he has all this baggage from his childhood and all these issues. What's going to happen to him and Brenda? That's a mystery. When he first gets to campus, he witnesses something that he gets involved in unknowingly, which is a murder mystery. That's another mystery in the story. And if you value relationships, not only romantic relationships like Raymond and Brenda, but he has four friends that come from all over the world. And they, they they are friends for life, but it's things that they go through. And one of them is involved in, in the murder. 
If you value mystery and relationships in particular, and you like to see strong characters evolve and develop and how they influence and impact each other, I encourage you to get a copy of Love for Over Me, and especially if you value the power of love. I encourage you to get a copy of Love for Over Me right now. You can get it in ebook, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, or you could go to our website, Chistel, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com, and get a copy, or you can get it in print book. Please don't wait. Treat yourself to a copy of Love for Over Me today. And let me know how you enjoyed the book. And now we are going to the moment that you have been waiting for to introduce you to our special off-the-shelf guest. And I want to thank our loyal listeners again, 14 years with us. Our special guest this morning, joining a long line of just amazing off-the-shelf guests we've had, is Dr. Tammy Prince. Now, Tammy is the author of the book, The Art of Practicing Passion. We're going to find out more exactly what that means. Tammy earned her medical doctorate degree from Wright State University School of Madison. Her undergraduate education came through Spelman College, you guys, and she is the Center Medical Director for U.S. HealthWorks. She also serves on the board of Covenant Community. She has appeared on her in numerous media outlets, including Fox 5, Focus Atlanta, MSN, Bustle, and Elite Daily. During the course of her undergraduate and graduate school and her internships and medical residencies, Tammy learned firsthand about the ups, the downs, the bumps and curves that lead to success. She is committed to remaining passionate about learning and evolving. And I encourage you to visit Tammy online, and it's T-A-M-I, T-A-M-I, Dr. Tammy Prince, to visit her online at nationsbedsitedoctor.com, and it's spelled just the way it sounds, N-A-T-I-O-N-S-B-E-D-S-I-D-E, D-O-C-T-O-R.com, nationsbedsitedoctor.com, nationsbedsitedoctor.com. Please go over and visit her, and you can bookmark her page to keep up with her speaking engagements and other things that she's doing. You can stop over there right now to get tips, inspiration, motivation, and insight as you listen to her off-the-shelf interview today. We are absolutely honored to have Tammy here with us. Uh, on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome, 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 Dr. Tammy Prince to Off the Shelf. Thank you so much for having me. It is uh, truly a blessing uh, to be able to do your show. And, you know, congratulations on your 14 years of success and, um, you know, putting authors out um, on a platform that we may not otherwise have. So kudos to you. Thank you, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Now, the first few questions, Tammy, I ask every guest who comes on the show because I used to just jump right in and ask questions, and listeners told me they wanted a little backstory on the guest before we go right into the questions. So the first, first, I don't say three to five questions, I ask every single guest on, on the show, and then I'll go into your book and your, your practice uh, so to begin, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so you're from Dayton. 
Um, so um, I actually went to uh, medical school in Dayton, Ohio. So I'm fully aware of the west side of Dayton. Um, so, but my um, background is different than the west side of Dayton. I grew up actually in the suburbs. I grew up in a two-parent home, a very loving home uh, with well-educated parents. And, you know, in this day and age, people don't normally think of black families as, you know, being a two-parent home well-to-do. My family was kind of similar to the coffee show kind of family in that manner where you have um, a successful father and a successful mother raising successful children. So in it of itself is kind of an anomaly. Um, but, you know, um, I uh, went to school with other um, African-American uh, kids who also grew up in the same atmosphere that I grew up in. So it was very nurturing, and uh, I was able to thrive as I did educational-wise as well as, you know, um, socially. So um, after that, I went to Spelman College, and um, I continued to thrive at Spelman. I continued to make lifelong friends um, at Spelman, and uh, then I went to Wright State. Now, for my background, um, both Spelman and the area that I grew up in were predominantly uh, minority. So Wright State was my first introduction into being in the majority um, and it was an eye opener, uh, but it was one that I continued to thrive in because I like to have diversity. Um, I thrive in diversity, and so um, you know I also want to stay closer to home. Uh, going through medical school and uh, my residency training um, after I went to uh, Wright State, then I went to Ohio State, so I kind of kept it kept all of my education outside of Spelman in the Ohio uh, realm. And, you know, I cherish that. I cherish the fact, and, and I'm proud of the fact that I'm from Ohio. I'm proud of the fact that I'm from Cleveland. So um, it was just okay. a blessing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, yes, uh, coming from Ohio and Cleveland. We know when LeBron James from Akron, uh, when he was first there, he really helped lift the city businesses started to, you know, you need something to attract people to the city, whether they're giving businesses tax cuts or you need something to attract the business to want to come there so that people get hired and restaurants Absolutely. start coming because the business to, to, grow, to grow your city. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Cleveland. Um, <laughs> what did you dream? We know what you do now, Dr. Prince, and we know mm-hmm. that path to being an attorney or a physician is not is a is a is several years. It takes years to get there. But what did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? So I initially, and I, I tell people this, and people are like, "Huh? I I want to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader." <laughs> Surprisingly, oh. enough, I, I you know had dreams of you know having those pom poms and wearing those white boots, and my father was like, "No." <laughs> So I, um, <laughs> he said, you're absolutely not going to be a cheerleader. You are going to do something else. So, you know, both of my parents actually were educators. So I initially um, thought I would follow in their footsteps. And I um, kind of nixed that because I love science. I love everything about science. And biology was always my favorite uh, subject. So you know, I kind of got into the mindset of maybe being a doctor, maybe being an attorney, because I love to argue. Um, and I 
mixed being an attorney because I don't like to write and you have to know how to write briefs. <laughs> so um, by default, I think uh, that's where I settled on being a doctor. And I absolutely love it. It's it's my passion. Now, your parents, you said they they both were like, were they professors when you say they were educators or they were either one of them working in the Madison field or teaching in it to attract you to that field? So both of them uh, were uh, teachers initially in the um, middle school and junior high schools. Uh, back, you know, when I was coming up in school, we had both middle schools and junior highs and senior highs. Now that's, you know, not the case, but they taught um, in junior high school, which is now considered middle school. Uh, then uh, my father actually um, was in administration, so he became a principal um, for his last, like, three or four years before he retired. Both of them uh, taught um, for 35 years. Wow. And actually, that's how they met. They actually met teaching at um, a mutual school in Cleveland, Patrick Henry, um, which uh, that school is no longer um, open. Oh, my goodness. My sister's a school teacher, and I bless them for their service because we need teachers and good teachers and bless bless them for their service. So your parents were teachers, and your father went on to be a principal, and they served in that capacity for 35 years. But So what attracted you, you said, to being a physician? You You had a list of things, but in particular, you loved science. You could have uh, – there's so many different things, paths with science even that you could have – gone down. I'm thinking archaeology. I'm thinking um, doing like um, what science do, NASA. You could have taken that kind of path. All of that. I wanted to be, um, you know, actually having hands on with patients. That's what I truly liked, the interaction. Um, And also, you know, when patients come to see physicians, they may not be at their best. And as a physician, they're entrusting us to make them better. And that's what I loved. I love, you know, being able to help people who um, are in need. And um, at the end of the day, that's what made me feel good. I, you know, could have gone the route of being, you know, a biology teacher. Um, but I thought that my talents and skills were better served in the medical field. Okay, okay. Always interested with when it comes to the writers on. Sometimes it's a family member who would be, and sometimes they're the first ones who actually entered into the field that they did. So, as far as you, when when you look at your family tree, uh, before we go into more about how your the work that you do, and then your book, the art of practicing passion. Are there any other doctors in your family? Sometimes you'll look back a couple of generations and you'll see somebody else who actually walked the same path you're on. Yeah, there was one other uh, doctor, a cousin, um, but most of my family were either educators. Uh, one of my um, one of my uncles was actually superintendent um, of a large uh, school system in um, Connecticut. Um, so most of them were either educators or attorneys and judges. So um, it was just myself and my cousin um, who are in the medical field. Does it really take, does it really take, before you start practicing, does it really take eight to ten years to become a practicing physician? 
Oh, absolutely. It takes more than that. Because <laughs> if you think about oh. it, four years of uh, college, four of medical school, depending upon which residency you choose, I chose OBGYN, that's an additional four years. Uh, some of the residencies are anywhere from three up to seven, eight years. Wow. So it just varies. Yeah, and then after that, um, after residency, then you become an attending physician. So it, it does take a long time, and with good reason, because, you know, um, we're treating patients, and, you know, when people, normal people make mistakes, you know, it may or may not make a difference. When we make mistakes, people die. So yeah. you want somebody that has got that additional training um, under their mm-hmm. belt to be able to take care of you. And, you know, as, as an OBGYN, as a surgeon, I pride myself on my knowledge. Mm-hmm. We, before we, go, we talk about the art of practicing passion, I have to ask you this. We, earlier when I was introducing you, you know, the ups and the downs, the, just the, the hard work that goes into uh, not only completing your courses but to perform very well academically or whatever it is involving your school, and there's so much going on in school. There's so many social events, and some people starting to enter their serious romantic relationships. There's just so many distractions. Did you ever question, it's such a long process, and I'm thinking of other people who are, they're, they're on their way to something they're passionate about. Again, talking about the art of practicing passion, but it's taking so long and the ups and the downs, and life happens, your parents might pass away or somebody gets sick, and you still got to keep forging ahead. Did you ever question your decision to become a physician because it is such a long process? No, I never questioned it, and I think that's when I knew this was the path I was supposed to be on. Um, And, you know, all of the ups and downs, you know, most people think, Oh, you go to college, you go to medical school, you go to residency, you uh, become an attending, and then that's it. You don't have any uh, trials or tribulations. And that's just not the case. Um, You know, some of it has to do with um, basically politics. You know, every career, there's some politicking in it. Um, It also sometimes is about who you know, not necessarily what you know. And so... My ups and downs taught me that I had to stay strong, that um, I could not rely on anyone but myself and my instincts. And that's what makes it so much sweeter to be where I'm at right now is I truly appreciate um, all of that. And I look at, you know, the ups and downs as being life's lessons. They're not failures um, because for me failure is not an option. But they are life's lessons, and as long as you're learning and not repeating those, um, then you should be on the right path. Okay. You know, it's amazing. You said no so fast. I said, okay, <laughs> good, good for her. Did you have a question? No, I absolutely did not. Good for you. Can you mm-hmm. give off-the-shelf listeners uh, an overview of the art of practicing passion. So the book um, takes you on my journey for finding my passion and um, 
living my passion because it's one thing to find your passion and you know even if you identify it your passion may not pay your bills <laughs> you know and, and people of course have to be able to live so you know they're trying to figure out okay what's my passion and how do I you know um, work that into my life and so for me I take you on the journey. It's not something that previously, before I wrote this book, I had spoken to people about. People just look at me like, oh, she's successful. But I never really told the journey of how I got to where I am. And so some of it was because I didn't want to look back on that because it was so painful, you know, at the time when you're going through those things. Um, But I looked at it like, I could be helping somebody if I share my story. You know, as you said before, there are people that may think, oh, it's so long, it's so hard, I can't do it. But that's not true. You need to keep persevering if that is what your passion is. You know, everything is not going to be easy. Everything is not going to be hunky-dory. But at the end of the day, when you get through the fire, you're going to appreciate it so much more. So that's what the art of practicing passion is. It's about my my journey and uh, coming out on top and showing people you can do this. You can. And you your your road is um, again. This is a this is not an overnight thing. Sometimes we get, we don't see the results right away, and we get so upset and just we hang up because other distractions other things happen you don't just go after your goal and that's it like i say somebody might call you and say a loved one passed away or somebody's mm-hmm. sick or something yeah, anything going can on derail you yes yes how do you how do you know how do you know when i asked you earlier did you ever question your decision to become a physician you quickly said no how do what are some signs for a person to either help them discover or know they have found their passion? For me, it was when I wake up in the morning and I really and truly want to do work today. You know, for some people, they're in jobs that they don't like. They're, you know, with coworkers that they don't like, and they don't feel like getting up out of the bed in the morning to go to work. And, that's when you may think, okay, this is not for me. For me, I love getting up in the morning, going in, um, helping um, however, you know, my day looks. And, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how tired I am, I still love what I do. And that's the thing is what wakes you up in the morning? What gives you peace? That's what I do. I'm at peace. There's no chaos. Okay. There's no fighting. For some people, that might be like they may think it's impossible, particularly if you were raised to, and this is where maybe economics for some people may come in. It doesn't have to. But some people are raised to just go get a job, just go get a job and start making some money, get a job so you can get out on your own, just get a job. To I always say it's so important for parents to say get a job in a field where you you love it. Whether you start in your mm-hmm. own company or or maybe you just get a job, but start start tracking toward what you're passionate about. Because the work a job you don't want to do, 
for decades is is not going to serve you. That's well. horrible. Well, it's horrible. And many millions and millions do do I it. Hear it's it all the time. The world. <laughs> yeah, I hear it all the time because what it does is it it creates stress, and with stress comes a lot of medical problems. So I hear it and I see it every single day in my patients, and. You know, I try to help them, you know, um, as much as I can. Um, just think about how to relieve their stress. And one of them is that they may have to find a different job. They may even have to find a different career. But at the end of the day, they have to do what feels good for them and what is less stressful for them to help, in the long run, their health. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about the art of practicing passion. What process did you follow or did you use to find the the right five women to contribute to the book? So the book was actually a collaboration that my best friend of 41 years put together. Uh, we're all from Cleveland, so we we've all – you know, intersected at some point in our lives uh, together, um, be it that one of the authors is actually my best friend's sister. Another author actually went to school with my best friend and I. Um, another author, you know, is a radio personality uh, that we all listen to. Um, another author is a doctor um, friend of mine. So, you know, we all kind of intersected um, at some point in time. And we all shared the same kind of stories and the fact that our road to how we got to where we are was not easy. But we made it through on the other side, and we're a testimony. And so, um, you know, it was very easy, I think, um, for us to be able to collaborate in that regard because there were so many similarities. Actually, one author, too, uh, she now lives in California, um, but she grew up in Cleveland um, and left in her teenage years, and then uh, she still got, you know, family there so that we know. So it was very easy for us uh, to be able to collaborate, and um, I'm not – um, sure how other collaborations, you know, go, but it's it's always easy when your authors have similar backgrounds. Okay. Now, after so many years, why do you think black women still face challenges while pursuing a medical career? I think it's stereotypes. I think it's resources or lack thereof. I think it's lack of support. Um, you know, nowadays coming through, you see a lot more um, African-American uh, physicians and women physicians. When I was coming through in my residency, I was the fourth African-American. Uh, and wow. so, yeah, and, and so and that was um, at my program. At other programs, actually, matter of fact, a friend of mine who was in uh, general surgery residency at the same time I was, she was the first black female to come through. I have another friend who was the first black male to come through uh, their plastics residency. So, you know, at that time when we were coming through, we didn't have um, the the um, mentors that 
are here now. And that's why for me it's so important to make sure that I stay involved with um, my alma mater, Spelman, as well as um, Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, we have some mentorship um, programs with them too because we need to support our students to let them know that, hey, there are others out there that look like you that have made it and don't, you know, let things like race, like lack of support, um, lack of money and resources completely derail you. There are other avenues. Why do you think there are then? Is is it is it is the um I know you said lack of I think it's just historically. I think it's just historically, um, where, you know, we don't get the funding like especially if you go to an HBCU, you may not have the funding at your school to have those resources. Like if you went to a larger university like Harvard or uh, you know, any of the Ivy Leagues or even if you went to, like, Ohio State, that has a very large endowment. So um, sometimes that can work against you um, in, in that regard. It, it just, I think, historically is how it happened. Do you think that we, we see it with sometimes teaching, you know, it's also good to have African-American teachers uh, in a classroom, people who who look like you, um, what do you think? Do you think that we're not doing enough work uh, at the at the the secondary education level to attract future physicians, to attract attract future educators? Are we not putting enough focus on this? Or maybe like people like you, your book certainly would be helpful. But more of your stories being shared, so somebody in the fifth grade sees, oh, I can grow up as a as a young woman and be a of a doctor just like Dr. Tammy Prince. Oh, is this message not going out enough? Are we not seeing enough of uh, the stories of the Dr. Tammy Prince's to attract future generations into the field? I think right now um, we definitely um, need to have more minorities, more males in the teaching world, you know, when my dad uh, was a, um, a teacher and a principal, you saw a lot more male teachers. Nowadays, that's not necessarily true. Um, I think a lot of it is pay. We need to pay our teachers. Um, they are the foundation. And if we don't have a good, firm foundation, then we can't succeed. So, Definitely, I think having um, having a presence of more males, more minority teachers, it always helps um, when you're learning because they, I think, can identify better with um, learning needs of other minorities. Not to say that, you know, uh, whites can't identify with um, black kids or with uh, Asian kids or with um, Latino kids, but I think having somebody that of your culture and your similar background, it definitely helps. But yes, it does start, I think, in the um, in the uh, fundamental years, so to speak. And because by the time they get to high school, it may be too late if they didn't have that foundation set from their 
kindergarten or first grade teacher. Uh, and and I absolutely agree with that. I can remember my third grade teacher, Miss Thompson, and some of the other teachers that I had that that stood out to me. So I think that is is very important. But I, I definitely want to ask you this: you know, we hear about the Me Too and different things that with the uh, the gymnast, that physician who was was unfortunate the things he was doing, and this crosses all industries. But I wanted to ask you: Do women face stereotypes? Uh, in the medical profession, do you think it, are women looked at equally as a male physician in the profession? No, or we're not. No. Um, and, you know, like you said, it crosses all professions. I, know, I remember when I was coming through as um, a medical student, I was on um, a rotation, and it was all females. Our attending physician was female. Our chief resident was a female, and um, all of us were females. And so we go into a room of an um, older um, white gentleman, and um, he proceeds to call everyone nurse because in his oh. eyes, only women can be nurses. Women can't be doctors. We can't be surgeons. And so... I initially thought, okay, because I'm actually at that point the only African-American female on the team. All the others were white women. I'm like, wow, they go through that too. That was my first introduction into what they actually go through as well. I'm like, okay, we're all the same. We're all just lumped in as women, and we're inferior to men. It still happens. Mm. You know, people are surprised when after I come out of surgery and I go in and I speak to the family, they're like, oh, my God. This is a black oh, wow, female yeah. surgeon. So, yes, we still, you know, have uphill battles. Um, I thankfully have never been um, sexually harassed, but I know other residents where that has been the case. And so, mm. you know, working under those kind of conditions where you're looked at as an object instead of an equal that can do something, you know, to people um, in their mindsets and, and um, you know, causing them to get derailed in some way, shape, or form. Um, but, yes, it, it's all – it's rampant through medical field, law. Every, every field is touched by this. And, you know, what that doctor did to those girls who entrusted him to take care of them properly while they were competing for our country is absolutely despicable and I hate that he was even called a doctor Mm. yes yes Uh, why do you think though uh, women are like that they were going to do the um, NASA would only the the women group team were going to go up on the moon uh, that the all women. I forget why that it was. Uh, I forget why they delayed it or they decided to, not to do that. They reversed the decision. Mm-hmm. But even now, we continue, you know, across industries and fields to fight to move forward. But in the medical profession, again, you said women have been active in the profession, but predominantly uh, as nurses. But it's been a long time that women have been. Uh, physicians, why do you think the these old stereotypes still hold? Why do they still persist 
because people want to always think that they are superior to another race, to another gender. And it's just the nature of the beast. You know, um, I have a TV show, a medical TV show um, called Health Tips with the Nation's Bedside Doctor on Clark TV Network. And I make it a point to highlight women physicians who paved the way to where I am now. I would not be a physician without them. So I make it a point to put it out there. Hey, it wasn't just white males that, you know, uh, created um, the imaging that we use now, like the x-rays. It wasn't just white men that uh, created the antibiotics that we used. It was black females. It wasn't just white men that did the first open heart surgeries. It was black female and men that did that. So I make it a point. And I think others, if we all did that, then maybe we can start knocking down walls. And But as long as people stay hush-hush about what really happened, what really historically happened, those kind of stereotypes will continue to perpetuate. And the other thing that I look at, too, in my profession is the HeLa cells. So when we were coming through, um, we knew about the HeLa cells. We knew that the HeLa cells, you know, were important and that they were the basis for all things related to medical research and medical field. Yet we didn't know where these HeLa cells came from. It wasn't until Rebecca Sklute came out with her book, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, that we even knew about this black woman mm. who gave her life yes. so that we can have the research that we have now. Why didn't we know about Henrietta Lacks? That's a travesty in and of itself. And especially me being an OBGYN, she has cervical cancer, which is how we able to get her cells. How do we not know about her? That's a travesty. Why? Because people are trying mm-hmm. to sweep it under the rug, what really happened, yeah. Yeah. how we really got these sales, how we exploited a black woman, how her family is now destitute, yet people mm. are profiting off of their mother's sales, wow. making millions of dollars. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we have to continue this conversation. We have to talk about it, and the more that we talk about it, the more they can't sweep it under the rug. Yes, yeah, and this is true, which is why, you know, we have museums and people, some people websites to to put the truth out there, backing it up with with, uh, resources that other people can check out themselves if they doubt what they're hearing, like Hidden Figures when that came out, a lot of people eye-opening that there were people behind the scenes whose names you never heard, but they they Mm -hmm. were a big part of of what we're all benefiting from. Now, the uh, speaking of the art of practicing passion, why is it important? We're talking about some of the challenges, stereotypes, uh, hiding contributions others made under the rug, uh, just imagery that we have that we have that people are still dealing with today. But speaking of the art of practicing passion, why is it important that we celebrate small successes, uh, especially as we continue to reach? A major goal. Small successes lead to that major goal. It it pumps you up. 
you know, it gets you excited to move on to the next level. And so if you, you know, don't have those small successes, then you don't know if you're on the right path <laughs> to, to success, to bigger success even. You know, um, you don't sometimes have the stamina that it takes to be able to get to that, make that leap. So you have to have those smaller journeys, those smaller wins to just give you the confidence, yep, I'm on the right path. I can keep going at this. Ah, now, now back to the art of practicing passion for off-the-shelf listeners, trying to help as many people as possible. Wanted to ask you what exactly is the art of practicing passion, and more importantly, is it possible for everybody to practice their their passion, especially earning a full-time income, working from their passion? Some people married, raising four or five kids, got a mortgage. Is it really possible for everybody? to practice their passion and earn enough income from that passion. So um, the art of practicing passion, where I got the name from, is a play on the art of practicing medicine. Not every physician practices medicine differently. And that's the same thing for people uh, finding and practicing their passion. Not everybody um, practices it the same. There is an art to doing it. Um, but just because, you know, you're at home with five children uh, doesn't mean that you, too, cannot practice your passion. Uh, but you have to do it strategically. You have to lay out a game plan. You have to lay out your short-term goals and your long-term goals. What are you expecting from this? You know, how is it going to, to make a difference in your life? And is it going to give you purpose, because that's, that's okay. what passion is. It's finding what your purpose in life is. And so you don't want to just do things willy-nilly, but that's not really what God purposed you for. So you have mm. to listen to him. Okay. And you have to operate so in, in Kairos time and not Kronos time. You know, I talk about that in the book, the difference between Kairos and Kronos time. We Most of us Operate in chronos, but we need to be operating in Kairos time. So you have so to. So what is the difference in that? Make a plan. Uh, what's the difference? What's the difference in that time, uh, Doctor Prince? What's chronos, the difference in that? Uh, yep, yeah, chronos time is you know basically time and stepwise approach, just you know chronologically. Okay. Whereas Kairos time is God's time. Ah. It's when He thinks that you're ready. Have you done and put in the work that he needed for you to do so that he can get you to the next level? That's Cairo's time. That's okay. the time that we need to be operating in. And for the longest time, I was operating Chronos time. Most people are operating Chronos time because you don't actually know the difference. It mm. wasn't until I had my stumbles and realized, okay, this is probably not the path that I'm supposed to be on. And I started to listen to him more. When I started operating in Cairo's time, things started falling in place. Wow. Wow. Now, Deborah, Deborah Moody wrote about persevering through fear. Did you ever mm-hmm. face, this is, one of the, this is one of the things that can paralyze us, turn us around, mm-hmm. back us up, stop us, get us stuck. 
did you ever face like mounting fears? I mean, really, really big fears during school, your internship, or uh, practicing as a doctor, and how did you deal with and overcome the fear if you did experience it? So, um, you know, I look at fear as not trusting God. So I don't necessarily have fears per se, and I don't necessarily worry, but I will say I do not like taking tests. <laughs> so the the thought of me taking a test, <laughs> I guess, you know, that could be a fear, of, but I know that I have to get through it. I know that it's a necessary evil in order for me to uh, continue my um, my uh, uh, education. And so I would probably say if I had a fear, that that's one of them is taking tests. Like, I just okay. won't do it. And a lot of people, you know, are like that. A lot of people are paralyzed at the thought of having to take a test. Like, you could have all the knowledge but when it comes to sitting down, pencil and paper, or even defending something that you know is correct, it, it's paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And it can so derail people. Do, so you just push through it. Is that how you deal with I it? Just put, just yeah, I just push through it. I just, I just know that I had to get through this in order to get to the other side. And I knew that once I got to the other side, Everything would be smooth sailing, but I this was my test. Okay, this was Why the obstacle pa- that was placed in front of me. I have to add, and I have, I'm not going to get to all the questions I wanted to ask you, but I definitely wanted to ask you this: Why is passion so important to success? Can't you just go out and say, okay, what is the top selling book? top-selling type of music we know years ago, and I don't know if it's slowing down or not, but hip-hop and rap. Okay, I'll make a hip-hop rap album if I'm into music. What's the what's the hit thing now? What's the hit fashion, the hit shirt design, pants? I'll go make that and sell it and become successful. Why is passion so important to success? So one of the things uh, that I learned early on is that you should never chase money because money runs from you. You know, Ah. while you're chasing the next hit, while you're chasing the next end thing to do to make money, eventually that's going to go away. That's going to fizzle, and then there's going to be another it thing. And if you haven't thought ahead to that, now you're stuck. Now you're in a box. Ah. Now you cannot continue to push forward because you don't know what that forward is because you haven't thought enough to do that. Mm -hmm. So you should never chase money. It should always be something that, like I said, you desire to wake up in the morning and you hate to go to sleep because now you can't do your, you know, uh, passion in your sleep. (laughs) But, you know, sleep is obviously important so that it can refuel you to continue to push forward. So it should always be something that, you know, is a, tr- is a true, you know, push forward kind of thing. It should be, okay. you know, a light in, in within you that just makes you continue to go. And for our listeners, if you don't know, because I've heard adults say they have no idea. They're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what my passion is. And they, and, and they really sincerely don't know. 
it's maybe you have to try different things. When different things come up in front of you or different opportunities, without spending a lot of money, you don't want to go out and get like three, four different degrees, but trying different things. Um, maybe you can work, some people, if you're in college, different internships or just trying different things, talking to people who are doing things and maybe asking them if you can shadow them to see if you really like it or not, to discover your passion. But I know people in their 40s that will tell me they have no idea, don't have a clue what, what their passion is. I think that's the first step. How do you really, really discover what your passion is? How do you find it? So, yeah, so actually there was a test that I took, and the funny thing is after I took it, it matched me perfectly. <laughs> I'm a healer. You know, and that's what it identified. So there was a test that I took. I can't remember what the name of it was. Um, but I uh, give that test to people who are unsure of, you know, what they want to do. But if you don't have that test, you could just sit down and say, okay, what are the things that I, that truly speak to me? And that, you know, make me feel good and that I have knowledge about. And if you have knowledge and you've spoken with others, well, how does your knowledge and you speaking to them make others feel about whatever the passion is? If it makes others feel good and it makes others, you know, um, uh, want to go and, and it sparks uh, something in another person um, to want to know more about, then now you may be on the right track. But I think it starts with a plan. It starts with just just thinking and listening. Listen to others when they tell you how you make them feel. Mm. You know, I know that when I speak to others, I have a nurturing, a kind of healing touch. It makes them feel at ease. And I, um, to make a point of that, um, my fiancé and I were in uh, marriage counseling with our pastor the other day, and he says, you have such a nurturing voice. <laughs> oh. So, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, you know, I know that because of the fact that I'm practicing what I love, which is the art of healing, mm. which is the art of making people feel good. So it comes through in you what your passion may be and just how you're living, how you're feeling. Okay. 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 And then if you have uh, roadblocks that you know you can remove out of the way, maybe sometimes some of them might take prayer, getting out of an abusive relationship. Talk talk to people. Things that, that, I mean, they're, they're roadblocks that, they might be, once you get out, and it may take a couple of years being patient and loving yourself mm-hmm. before you start to move forward really, really strongly again. But an addiction, there could be all types of roadblocks. You might, you may have to get them out of the way first and then go forward. But I would encourage any mm-hmm. off-the-shelf listener not to believe that where you ever you are now is where you have to stay. I agree. So you, I agree with that. Wherever you are now is where you have to stay. You may have to move some things out of the way, and it may take prayer and help from others, but it's going to take effort from you 
to move forward and you could look back on the other side of where you are now and 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 wow yourself. You really could do that. Um, I was impressed to read that your parents, they told you regularly that you had to find something to wake up for and look forward to every day. I thought that was mm-hmm. awesome. Did hearing your did. parents say did hearing them say that put you on an early path to discovering your path? They're telling you, you got to do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's a, you know, the thing that I said about having, you know, good support, somebody that is rallying around you and saying, you can do this, and helping you realize what your dreams are. You know, my, my parents um, really and truly were the best role models that I could have ever had. And when people meet my parents, they say, oh, my God, you are so blessed to, to have Aww. parents like that. And, you know, for me, could things have ended differently had I had a different set of parents? Possibly. Um, you know, I definitely credit my parents with how I turned out as a woman. Um, they definitely made sure that I um, did things my way. I learned without them, you know, physically having to, you know, um, pay for me to, you know, go into college or anything like that. I made it I made the path on my own, but with their support and with their guidance. You know, they okay. said, whatever you do, we support you, but do something. Do mm-hmm. something that wakes you up in the morning. Oh, I think that's awesome. Now, in the book, I wanted to share this tip uh, with whatever you, your answer to this is. But you shared in the, in the Art of Practicing Passion that you experienced school burnout as a biology major mm-hmm. at Spelman. What advice would you give to a student going to college right now that they could take to avoid burnout? I think just taking time for yourself. Self-care is so important. You know, um, in college, just go, go, go. you got to hurry up and get out in four years. And, you know, you are stressed. You're up at night. You're gaining weight because you're probably stressed and eating and things like that. You're not really taking care of yourself all in the name of graduating on time. And sometimes, depending upon what your major is, it's okay to not graduate in four years. If that means that mentally and physically you're healthy and if having done everything in a compressed time frame caused you to have mental and, and health issues, it's okay. But you got to take the time for you. And I think that's what happened with me is that I did not take the appropriate time for me. And at that point, I was just so tired of school. I was so tired of having set schedules. I just wanted to just rest. Mm-hmm. I want it to not so take, have to think. So take a miniature vacations, um, some time where you don't study at all, or would you say like mm-hmm. maybe even once a week, maybe even once a week, just don't, no studying, no nothing, just once a week, just chill once out. Once a week, I would shut it down, absolutely. Once a week, shut it down um, and just let your mind rest. 
just be with your own thoughts. Take care of you. However that means, if that means that you need to rest, you know, sleep, uh, most people think is resting, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, um, mean the case. You could rest by taking a long drive by yourself or rest by being on the beach or reading a book. But whatever it is that allows for your mind to breathe and to okay. open up, that's, that's what self-care is all about. Ah. Now, what have readers been saying? What have you been hearing readers say about the book, The Art of Practicing Passion? They have, you know, um, welcomed the idea of finding their own path. They're like, oh, my God, we got to find our passions, you know. Um, and actually I had one reader say, after reading your book, she was like, I realized I was not um, living my passion. <laughs> and so she subsequently changed gears and um, careers as a result of that. Now, I don't necessarily, you know, um, Counsel people to quit your job. <laughs> you know, obviously, you need oh, to have yes. a game plan. <laughs> obviously, you I need to have, have a game plan. Else working before you do that. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Don't just quit your job, especially a job no, with benefits. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Have a game yeah, plan yeah. about how, how you're going to make that transition. Mm-hmm. And be it that, you, you know, you're working uh, your passion part-time while you still have your full-time gig, eventually you'll work it to possibly where you can give up your full-time gig because your passionate gig is allowing for you to have the lifestyle that you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't quit that job yet. Yeah, it's not don't magic. Don't quit that day, job. Like if you quit your job, God's just going to now say, oh, look, she sacrificed and quit her job. I'm like, no, this isn't magic. So you you – do, like you said, have another plan in place. Can you share three to four steps as we come down to the last two minutes of today's show? But can you share three to four steps that you you take uh, for our off-the-shelf listeners who also are book writers that you found to be mm-hmm. effective at getting the word out about the art of practicing passion and your TV show? And if you could give us the name of your TV show again. Sure. My TV show is Health Tips with the Nation's Bedside Doctor on Clark TV Network. Um, So one of the steps um, for, I guess you're asking about marketing. Um, Mm -hmm. I use social media. Now, if you're not tech savvy, like I'm not tech savvy, you are going to need to get a millennial or somebody that is tech savvy because you need to be kicking out um, post on your social medias every single day. Now, you don't necessarily need to super saturate uh, your social media posts with, you know, two, three, four posts a day. If you have one effective post, you can run with that. And that's what I do. I have one post that kicks out to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and Twitter on a daily basis. And you also um, need to have a website. So my call to and always have a uh, call to action. So in my call to action, um, I always have them come to my website um, and get more of my tips, sign up for my newsletter, things like that. So that gets the word out. Um, just word of mouth um, also 
helps when you have people that are supporting you and say, hey, you know, my girl has a book, uh, especially if they're talking to somebody and that person doesn't know what their passion is. Hey, my girl has a book. You may want to read the book uh, to try to help you along your path. That's good uh, to do as well. How many was that, three? You said four, huh? <laughs> yeah, you good, you good, you good. And adding that call to action, a website. And the websites today are a little different than they used to be. A lot of them are HTTPS. I was looking to get mine uh, redesigned. And the uh, designer told me, and they all, everything's on one page, and you just scroll down the page. Yeah. I'm not crazy about it. But that's, you know, working. They, it changes. It changes. They, she said they don't really do static web, web pages anymore. But that's what you said. Get, get with a millennial, somebody who's tech savvy, they know the drill. They can help you from that end. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of The Art of Practicing Your Passion? So you can get a copy from Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, uh, my website, of course, NationsBedsideDoctor.com. Um, and actually, if you get it from NationsBedsideDoctor.com, it comes directly from me. I will give you an autographed copy of that. If it comes from Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, it comes from the publisher. So you won't be able to get my uh, John Hancock unless you catch me on one of my tours. But Okay. Um, those are the three um, avenues uh, that, that people can uh, find me. And, you know, I encourage uh, people to, you know, just whatever it is that wakes you up in the morning, find it, do it. That is great advice that Dr. Tammy Prince has left us with, and she is one of the writers in the book, The Art of Practicing Passion. She has been on Fox 5, Focus Atlanta, MSN, Bustle and Elite Daily, amongst others, a Spelman College graduate and a graduate of Wright State University School of Madison. We have been honored to have Dr. Tammy Prince here with us. Her website, again, is nationsbedsidedoctor.com. Common is spelled exactly the way it sounds, nations, N-A-T-I-O-N-S-B-E-D-S-I-D-E-D-O-C-T-O-R.com, nationsbedsidedoctor.com. If you're looking for her, like on social media or want to find more about her and her books, you can go to her website, nations, nationsbedsidedoctor.com, or you can search for her, Dr. Tammy, and it's T-A-M-I, not T-A-M-M-Y, but T-A-M-I, Dr. Tammy Prince. Again, the art of practicing passion. So we want to thank Dr. Prince for being here with us and thank each of you for being here with us. Remember to come back next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time, where we will bring you another phenomenal guest sharing tips and advice and talking about great books here on Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio. Thank you, thank you, Dr. Prince. It is a gorgeous day here in Tennessee where I am. I encourage you, as I always tell you, to really grasp that you are awesome, you are amazing, you are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Uh, Tammy, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thank you so much.